Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 12, Part 2. Well, what I think is that the will of God seems to coincide with the will of Atlas. And whether you believe in God or not, that has to be a little suspicious. Yeah, Kate let out a really long sigh. I can't say that hasn't occurred to me, but I think he'll eventually give up the idea. I've talked to Amy about it and she's told him that he mustn't put any pressure on me. It'll either happen or it won't and he has to be happy either way. Good, I'm glad to hear it. Just make sure you let Amy know if he ever does it again so that you have her on your side when you need her. But what does she feel about Atlas wanting a menage a trois? She'd be fine with it, completely happy, because she's kind of asexual. Don't get me wrong, she does have sex with Atlas, but only because he needs it, and so she goes along with it in order to help him be closer to God. The words, a bullet through the brain would put Atlas closer to God, were immediately in my mind, but I didn't give voice to them. Why did such heavy-handed witticisms continue to arise so readily? Well, there's a thing and no mistake, was my alternative reply. I wasn't expecting to feel sorry for Atlas, but that isn't a situation that would suit me. Why does he accept that? I mean, it must be somewhat humiliating. I mean, having my partner make love as a favour on the basis that I had an earthly need, I'd rather be celibate. Right. I see, I suppose it does sound humiliating, put like that. I hadn't really thought of it that way before. I don't think I'd want that. I don't think any healthy person would. Atlas doesn't seem to mind, though, not as long as sex happens whenever he wants it to happen. The picture was becoming clearer as we spoke. I felt sorry for Kate and concerned. It turned out that Kate thought I'd be open to intimate dalliance when she invited me down, but I'd turned out to be disappointingly conventional on that score. I'd had to say that even if I had been single, I wouldn't have been up for a casual temporary liaison, and neither would I have been open to moving in with Amy and Atlas. I told her that as far as I was concerned, the whole God number was cuckoo and that saying it was the same as emptiness in Buddhism was like saying Hitler's vegetarianism was the same as Gandhi's. Those kinds of comparisons were odious. My father had always said comparisons are odious but only when it meant comparing my lack of liberty with the freedom of other children. 
You're such a weird mixture of freak freedom and conservatism. Yes, I'd agree to that. How do you deal with that, though? I mean, isn't that extremely confusing for people? Yes, sometimes, but not with everyone. Not with the three ladies with whom I share a house in Bristol. We're good friends and they seem to understand me. And your girlfriend doesn't mind you living with them? No, she suggested it. They're her friends. Maybe I'm not as conservative as you think. I'm just monogamous. But I'm not monogamous because of any kind of morality or anything like that. I'm monogamous because it's my preference. It always has been and always will be. What other people do is up to them. Yeah, that sounds as if you've settled on something that works for you. Yes, and if you don't mind my saying, I think you could sometimes think about what would work best for you. I can't really see you three living this way forever. No, Kate said, somewhat gloomily. Not forever, no. But I don't want to break it all up, either. Not just now. Or not till I get through teacher training college, at least. I'm not trying to encourage you to leave, Kate. I'm just concerned you'll do what's best for yourself. You know, when the time comes. On that note, we left the subject and talked about a whole array of things. We eventually arrived back at the house to find Amy and Atlas moving furniture in order to make a clearer space. Atlas was busy stuffing it all into the room where I slept and I wondered whether there was going to be room for me to get to the bed. Chugyam plays guitar, Kate announced. He played some amazing stuff for me this morning. Do you want to play something now? Why not? Atlas chimed in with a smile. I was glad he'd dropped his sullenness of the night before. Most kind of you. I love playing and haven't had the chance to play electric since 1970. Go ahead then. Let's hear how good you are replied Atlas, as if he was throwing down the gauntlet. And so I did. I plugged in and set the guitar across my knees. I started singing. Do you know anything with more of a beat? Atlas interrupted. I stopped immediately. Rolling and tumbling, I inquired, ignoring the boorish way he'd curtailed my song. Atlas nodded. Well, I was rolling and tumbling, God, the whole night long. Yes, I was rolling and tumbling, God, the whole night long. And when I woke up this morning, all I had was gone. 
Atlas clearly liked the faster tempo and started lurching around in some form of dance. He resembled, not that I'd ever seen one, a wounded bear. If the river was whiskey and I was a diving duck. If the river was whiskey and I was a diving duck. I would swim to the bottom, Lord. I would drink my way up. I was just launching into the next verse when Atlas took over the vocals. He had a surprisingly loud voice that was also surprisingly out of tune. Diving duck, yeah, diving duck blues. Oh, ah, oh, diving, diving. I'm diving with the ducks, yeah, ducks diving. Muff diving, yeah, muff diving with 50 ducks. Ah, sixty ducks or suck my duck. Ah, 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 seventy ducks. Ah, fuck a duck. Yeah, fuck a duck. I'm gonna fuck all those ducks. Ah, I'm gonna fuck every duck. I'll fuck all those sixty ducks. Atlas was on a roll. He continued to yell about puerile adolescent obscenities about ducks as long as I kept playing. I played for what I considered to be a length of time that wouldn't make it look as if I was cutting him short and then concluded. Amy and Kate were laughing as if it was the funniest thing in the world. And maybe it was. Maybe I was peevish about it. But I didn't quite enjoy him busting in on the song he had asked me to sing. Atlas didn't notice immediately that I'd stopped playing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna fuck all those ducks. Ah, I'm gonna fuck every duck. Fucky ducky, fucky ducky, fucky ducky, fuck him off, diving blues. Oh, yeah. Atlas finally desisted from the horrible noise he was making and asked, How was that then? Impressive, Atlas. I like the way you hit all the blue notes. I was safe in my sarcasm in relation to that fact that Atlas sang horribly, horribly off-key most of the time, but was dismayed with myself. I could have just let it go, rather than make a sarcastic remark. I had to unlearn that form of patterning. There was no need for sarcasm, whether it was perceived as such or not. I liked the fucky-ducky reference to Philip Whalen too. Philip Whalen, Who's he when he's at home? Atlas asked as if to say that Philip Whalen was someone obscure. Uh, one of the beat poets and a friend of Allen Ginsberg and Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Ah, yeah, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I, I like his stuff. Lawrence who? asked Kate. I waited for Atlas to have another stab at pronouncing the name of the poet he claimed to know, but after a second or two, I decided to let him off the hook. 
Lawrence Ferlin Getty. Who's that? asked Amy. Again, Atlas stood mute and evidently uneasy, so I said, An American beat poet. He wrote A Coney Island of the Mind. You've probably heard of Allen Ginsberg. Kate and Amy nodded. He was one of that group. Right, said Amy. They were connected with Jack Kerouac, weren't they? That's right. And he's the one who wrote On the Road and other books, said Kate. I've only read On the Road, but that was great. Have you read any of the others? Yes, Visions of Cody, Book of Dreams, Maggie Cassidy, The Subterraneans, Visions of Gerard, Desolation Angels, Dharma Bums, Big Sur, Satori in Paris and Vanity of Duluoth. I read Dharma Bums, said Amy. I think that book really showed a picture of a free spiritual life. I've wanted Atlas to read that, but he's not really a big reader. He always says he prefers direct experience. Yes, indeed. Atlas evidently was barely literate, but I said nothing. I just smiled. By this time, Atlas had somehow turned his back to us all, and was looking through the albums as if he wanted to check what they were going to play that evening. You seem to have read a lot apart from Tibetan Buddhism, said Amy. Yes, I've always read. I think it's important to be well read and to have some kind of grasp of how people think in the world. I noticed that Atlas was making it obvious that he was not part of the conversation, by ordering and reordering the albums, to no particular end as far as I could see. Literature is full of philosophy and it gives you a picture of how people interpret the world. Literature is also a history lesson and I think it's valuable to know what the past was like in terms of ideas rather than successions of kings and queens. Exactly replied Amy. That's why I wanted to work in a museum. It's full of images of our past and visions of what brought us to this point. It's also very peaceful there and I like to be in a peaceful place away from the noise and confusion of materialist life. I nodded but before I could venture a comment Kate spoke. I told Chergyam that if he was moved to play during the Latihan, you'd probably like that. Yes, we would, Amy smiled, but it couldn't be blues. I mean, not that I don't like it, but it can't be anything you've played before. It would have to be something that came from within. I think I can go with that, I replied. You've got some effects pedals here and I've never used those before. I have no idea what will happen when those kick in. And so it was settled. I'd spontaneously play guitar at some point. I had to check the batteries in the pedals and they were flat. 
Fortunately, there was a chemist shop open that sold batteries and I was able to get the pedals, pedals working. The old batteries had leaked and corrupted the terminals, but that was no great problem to fix. Atlas watched me working on the pedals, but said nothing. Amy thanked me for the hard work I was putting into restoring the pedals to working order. We ate a light dinner of vegetable stew, and once we'd cleared up, Kate went down to answer the doorbell. She turned back before disappearing from view and said, Oh, by the way, we all take our clothes off for Latihan. I didn't think you'd mind because you're used to skinny dipping. Right, I replied, and when I turned, I was faced with a naked Amy and Atlas, who seemed to be waiting for some sign of my compliance. Atlas would have made a fine geek in any travelling circus. He was somewhat surprisingly hirsute, almost like a walking beard. I kept finding myself thinking thoughts I'd rather not have been thinking. I began to feel irritated with my own reactions. It was not worthy to indulge in the dislike of another person. I knew I'd be better off letting those ideas slip into oblivion. But Atlas just kept doing and saying things that encouraged my worsening opinion of him. Well, in for a penny, in for a pound, I thought, and went to my room to remove my clothes. I navigated the morass of armchairs that Atlas had randomly dumped in the guest room and removed my clothing. There was no big issue in it for me. I went and sat in the living area, which was now quite expansive, the armchairs all being rammed up next to my bed, so I'd have to climb over them to get to it. Atlas seemed quite childish in the way he evidently wanted to cause me problems in terms of using my room as a bedroom. Fine by me. The bed was still just about accessible, so I wasn't majorly put out. Several people of all shapes and sizes had arrived and were absorbed with removing their clothes. After a while, there were around 20 people there and we all sat down for a period of silence. At a certain moment, Atlas stood up and set the stereo system going with Tangerine Dream. That surprised me, because it didn't seem as if a practice that originated in the East, and which was supposed to be spontaneous, should include prearranged music. Never mind, but I could see where guitar would fit with this. Whilst these thoughts were meandering, a sign was given and we all stood up. Amy and Atlas came over and stood on either side of me, taking my arms in theirs in a fairly gentle manner and said, We are helpers of the Latihan. We are here to be witnesses to your wish to worship the creator of the universe, the all-knowing, the all-powerful. So that your feelings become calm Close your eyes and relax. 
pay no attention to other people. When movement begins to happen in your body, don't resist. Don't try to control it. Just follow whatever freely arises within you. Then they let go of my arms and brought round cups of tea for everyone. How frightfully English, I thought with amusement. But Kate came over and said, Don't drink it. It's the psilocybin I told you about it. Just pretend to sip it and I'll take it from you and tip it into the plant pot when no one's looking. I nodded in comprehension. It was kind of Kate to remember our earlier conversation about my antipathy to drugs. I felt slightly cheesy about having to pussyfoot round the spiritual sensibilities of Amy and Atlas. My only excuse was that I felt obliged somehow not to create a bad scene for Kate. She'd invited me here and been perfectly pleasant to me. She'd insisted on paying for the petrol from Sammy Ling to Liverpool and, like an idiot, I'd let myself be cajoled into accepting her fuel donation. This whole thing was one false step after another. There'd have been no problem if I didn't give a damn about anyone but myself. But I was supposed to be a tulku. I was supposed to be compassionate. But all I could manage was a slightly wearied acceptance. Once the psilocybin tea had been consumed, people began to glide around the room, swaying from side to side to the music in what looked a fairly choreographic manner. Amy was noticeably better at it than Atlas, because she had a natural grace. Atlas was innately clumsy and highly self-conscious about his efforts to be fluid. After Atlas had worked hard for a while at the flowing business, he lay on the ground and started howling. As ladies floated around the room, he appeared to be employing his supine position to gain a view of the undercarriages of the ladies who drifted near enough. Within a minute or two, Atlas was sporting an erection. I found myself puzzled as to what ladies liked about male genitalia. Just as well they did like it, of course, but... Just as this random conjecture was occupying my peripheral attention, I was distracted by a sudden movement. Atlas was now jumping around in an ungainly manner, slapping the offending member on whichever lady was closest at hand. This was gross. I was not puritanically shocked, but I found I was not enjoying this display of asinine, prurient indulgence. If Atlas wanted an orgy, why not just stage an orgy? Not that I would have wished to be part of an orgy, but this was just plain stupid. Atlas was a grotesque combination of the five fiends in Shakespeare's King Lear, particularly Obidicut and Hobbididance.
Poor Tom hath been scared out of his good wits. Bless thee, good man's son, from the foul fiend. Five fiends have been in poor Tom at once, of lust as obidicut, hobididance, prince of dumbness, mahu of stealing modo, of murder, and fibbity-gibbet, of mopping and mowing, who since possesses chambermaids and waiting women. So bless thee, master. I looked around, mainly to see something other than Atlas, and noticed that Kate and Amy were actually doing something that seemed internalised. It seemed like a trance of some kind. They were gyrating very slowly with the modulations of Tangerine Dream. Well, at least they... seemed to be practising what was described. As my thoughts were thus occupied, a burlesque Bathyculpian bell decided to lollop lubriciously over me. Fortunately, the Tangerine Dream album finished and so I slid out at a speed that evidently surprised her and went for the guitar. I flipped on the amp and turned on the pedals and proceeded to experiment. This was a useful moment because masturbation seemed to have become the order of the day for Atlas. He was grinning like a fiend and jumping around to make sure everyone got a good view of his preoccupation. This was the most banal excuse for acting out, but no one seemed to find his dishonesty ludicrous. Kate and Amy seemed sincere but why were they not suspicious of Atlas's primary motivation? One was not supposed to think about what anyone else is doing at the Latiham. One was not supposed to conceptualise about anything one saw. On that basis, Atlas was free to be as bestially banal as he wished. Be that as it may, I was glad to have the guitar. I proceeded to experiment and surprisingly I managed to improvise for about ten minutes. Kate and Amy seemed to respond well to the sounds I was producing and began to move into my vicinity. Atlas observed from a distance with an aggrieved expression. He suddenly jumped up, went over to the stereo and put Tangerine Dream back on the turntable and turned up the volume. I stopped playing immediately. That was clearly what Atlas wanted. I could have improvised for longer, but I had no investment in it. A few people looked disappointed, but were not discommoded for long. The movements in the room changed with the change of music, and Atlas started making lewd moves in front of Kate and Amy, who appeared to keep turning away from him. He'd made no headway with the other ladies in the room and so he'd obviously concluded that Kate and Amy were his last hope. Amy and Kate showed no evident recognition that Atlas existed and finally Atlas slunk away and sat in a corner, weeping. 
Eventually, someone came over to tell Amy that Atlas was weeping. He was indeed weeping violently enough to cause everyone to notice him. Amy went over to him and wrapped her arms around him. Eventually, Kate went over as well, and as they both proceeded to envelop him, the crying subsided gradually. But before his lachrymosity abated, I made my way to bed. Once I'd clambered over the armchairs in my room, I decided, in a moment of clear-headedness, to wedge the armchairs against the door and hard up against my bed. If Atlas decided to do anything moronic in the night, he'd find the door impassable. Not that I had any fear of him, but I wanted to make sure I got a decent night's sleep before the morning's ride back to Bristol. Good night and goodbye forever. I'd be off at first light. Was this the kind of scenario that Dudjum Rimshe wanted me to experience? Or had I just subjected myself to something entirely useless? I realised that I should have run through some of the possible scenarios that were available in the West and asked Kyabje Dujam Rimshe for some guidelines. The idea had simply failed to occur to me. I'd requisitioned some cotton wool from the bathroom for earplugs and so I was able to sleep without being disturbed by the relentless tangerine dream. I did not expect to dream and was proved correct in my expectation.